you're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, episode 40. This week, we're revisiting the best songs of 1984, a time where Wolverines fought a war in Iowa. Kevin Bacon fought for dancing. Mr. Miyagi taught Daniel to wax off. Apple threw a hammer at the big blue screen. The Tri-Lambdas won a Greek fest. Nigel turned it up to 11. And Eddie Murphy met Surge in an art gallery. But be warned, Big Brother is watching, although it just may be your host, Rob Heitman, and a being that needs to avoid light, water, and never, ever be fed after midnight, our guest host, Jason <laughs> Weck. <laughs> hey, Jason. Welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, where we discuss the best 12 songs from 1984. While enjoying a drink or two, I'm Rob. And I'm Jason. Jason. Jason is also a gremlin, in case you didn't get that <laughs> reference. Uh, all right. I'd like to thank everybody who's been active and joining in on our conversations on Facebook page. With a special shout out to Christina Jarneau, Troy Smith, Elizabeth Von Bush, and Alex Hennon. Thank you for being active. All right. Looking back at 1984, TV shows premiering, Cosby Show, Transformers, Miami Vice, Punky Brewster, and My Little Pony. Movies included Beverly Hills Cop, Red Dawn, 16 Candles, Gremlins, Spinal Tap, Ghostbusters, Karate Kid, Footloose, Splash, Police Academy, and Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> Seeing as you were born that year, does anything stand out to you about that? <laughs> well, I definitely watched The Cosby Show, I mean, back when that was considered appropriate. So for some of the movies, obviously Beverly Hills Cop, I remembered. Okay, good. You've yeah. seen some of these. I, I have seen, yes. I have seen some of these. Obviously well after the fact. You didn't see them like when you were being nursed. <laughs> if I did, I have no memory of that. <laughs> It's quite possible, but I just have no memory. No, I get you. Yeah, for me, Miami Vice show was huge mm. at the time, and that really just broke television for me. It was all of a sudden there's a cool cop show. Not that there's any cool cop shows anymore. I'm not trying to say anything. <laughs> but they had cool music on it, sort of like a Scarface sort of vibe, mm -hmm. but it's from the other side. Pretty much a lot of drug busts. Red Dawn, which is a great movie uh, with Patrick Swayze, and mm. it's about Russia attacking the United States and Iowa, because that's where they want to attack. Yeah, that just totally makes sense. <laughs> Ghostbusters, I remember seeing it in theater, wow. and I had no idea about the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Sorry for the spoiler. And when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing ever. And, you know, and they have that cool little Ghostbuster song and everything. Yep. Right now we're drinking whiskey sours. We tried to think of something in the 80s that um, I guess our parents would drink because we weren't old enough to drink back then. And right. Jason wasn't old enough to Definitely wasn't do old enough for anything, yeah. <laughs> His formula. <laughs> uh, so we're having some whiskey sours. Tastes good. And what do you think? Yeah, I like it. Um, I honestly can't remember if I've ever had a whiskey sour before. Great new experience. I like the complexity of the flavors, a little bit of sweetness, the strength of the bourbon, and the sourness in there. So Yeah, we're not doing balance. anything fancy here, people. This is something you can do at home. We picked up Mr. and Mrs. T Sour Mix. We have some bitters. We have some cherries. And I'm using Knob Creek Hunter Proof as the liquor we're drinking in it. So it's worth a, worth a taste. It tastes great. Simple to make and takes a couple seconds. Before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing specific songs from 1984, and we'll share under 20 seconds of each tune unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight. Then we may do a second clip. We have made Apple Music and Spotify playlists. Just search Official Dirty Dozen on either service to listen to each of our lists in their entirety. This way, all the money for playing tunes will head back to each artist. We have also created a current episode Dirty Dozen podcast playlist, which will automatically update with each podcast to the current podcast. So all you have to do is subscribe once and you'll always be updated. Also look for our link to the YouTube playlist as well, because sometimes music sounds better when you see it. And especially when we're talking about the eighties, because it's all about MTV. And most of those videos are out there on YouTube 
and they'll be in my playlist for 1984. Yep, Unless Jason stuff. picks really weird songs. <laughs> Which is always a possibility. <laughs> hey, Jason, I mean, the last one you were here for, we, we did Pink Floyd, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. It was a blast of a great experience. Learned a lot about Pink Floyd at the time and kind of the same with this. I mean, you know, my exposure to music of 1984 obviously didn't occur in 1984. Right. Some of the irony is that when I started to listen to these songs, I was probably 15, 16, 17 anyways, which right. is a, little, a lot of folks started listening to them in 84. And really a lot of this music, I remember being played through the speakers of this little tiny town, dusty old gym that I used to go to when I was a teenager. Okay. And so when I play these songs, I can see images of the weights and the dirt and the chalk and, the, you know, the doors are open because there's no air conditioning in there. And then you get these big fans blowing and the old bodybuilder that owns the gyms walking around and telling people don't drop the weights. Mm -hmm. So they've got a, a lot of mental images that come up with these songs. And so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that happens all the time. 84 was a, it's a great year. It's just every song that I hear takes me back to that time hmm. and the people I know and the people I knew and just kind of gets me back. And I hope it does to everybody listening too. So let's just jump right in. Sure. Jason, what's your song of note? So my song of note comes from a band that I've actually gotten to know better as I've gotten older. I used to listen to some of their more hit songs on the radio and I would see, think to myself, why why are they singing about Africa? What's so important about Kilimanjaro? Yeah. You know, I didn't fully understand the complexity, but what I grasped of, from this band, which people should know by now is, is Toto, is their dedication to musicality and creativity. The album is called Isolation, and the track that's my song of note is Stranger in Town. And it's a tale of murder and mystery. It's not a song I think people would just automatically recognize as being Toto, but David Page wrote it and sang lead on it. You can definitely hear his influence in it. Some great keys, obviously. All three Procaros were on there, Jeff, Mike, and Steve. Just a great tune with a lot of creativity and a lot of layers in the music. Yeah, this one had a really kind of interesting video. It was in black and white. It's pretty much this escaped convict who is mistaken for Jesus. Mm. Hence the reference in that line. Yeah, so that's where that's from. Let's go listen to Jason's song of note, Stranger in Town by Toto. Somewhere Dave is smiling. All right. No, it's interesting. I wasn't expecting that one, but it was good. And they do a lot with syncopation and a lot of their pieces. That's really just kind of fun. And it, you know, you start to tap your foot along and you're humming along and wait, all of a sudden they go to the next chord. And it's like, wow, that's that's very interesting. That's a good layer. Yeah, they're very talented musicians. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, mine, I'm going to go to a song and kind of a genre that we haven't really talked on. And I thought this was a good opportunity because the Honey Drippers came out with a song that year. And it's Rockin' at Midnight. It's kind of a rockabilly song. It's originally called Good Rockin' Tonight by Roy Brown, who was a singer in 1947. Oh, wow. Okay. The song includes this refrain, well, I heard the news, there's good rockin' tonight. And a lot of people argue that that's the first rock and roll song ever made. Really? Right. And that's the one these guys cover. And the Honey Drippers, you know, add like a boogie-woogie feel and a big band feel. It's really rockabilly. And they kind of made it their own. They had some really cool vintage guitar tones, sax, piano. There's a lot of really goodness in here. And of course, the lead singer of the Honey Drippers is why you may have heard of them at all. And probably they would not have gotten any press if it wasn't the lead singer. Mm. He was the lead singer of Led Zeppelin. 
Aha. Robert Plant. <laughs> I might have heard them, you know, at some point. <laughs> yeah. This song actually hit number eight in the U.S. on the, the Hot 100. So. Oh, wow. Sounds good. And they changed the name to Rockin' at Midnight from Good Rockin' Tonight because that's what Zeppelin kind of always did anyway. <laughs> Guess they can do what they want. <laughs> yeah. And it's not Zeppelin. It's just Robert Plant. But let's listen. The Honey Drippers. Rockin' at Midnight. All right, that's Rockin' at Midnight, my song it up. Excellent. I've never heard that song before, but uh, I'm totally sold. Yeah, um, it's pretty neat, huh? It is. It's, it's great. You know, I love the counter melodies that you hear in a lot of that big band or swing stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, little known fact, back in the day, I used to dabble in some very limited swing dancing. And so I would I used to go out oh, and you a swinger. <laughs> <laughs> I put the car in swinger, baby. <laughs> East Coast Swing, uh, for those that care. That big band feel, um, lots of counter melodies. There's space for all the instruments, and they absolutely create this textured layer of music, which is so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so what's your number 12? Let's just keep going. All right, here we go. So my number 12, I first got a compilation album uh, from this artist probably when I was 16 years old. And this is an artist, or uh, not really an artist, it's a group that, due to some changes in the band, obviously had a huge detraction from their earlier music. They had some incredibly popular hits, 25 or 6 to 4. They might know what time it is. I'm talking about Chicago, but in 1984, Chicago released their Chicago 17 album with Peter Cetera on vocals, and obviously took a completely different track. So my number 12 song for 1984 is Stay the Night. It did reach number 16 on the top 100 chart. The album was the Biggest selling in band history. I didn't quite understand the lyrics when I had the album at first, but the staccato electric piano, the big guitars that come in, just they hooked me right away. I did not know this until I researched it, but apparently Peter Cetera was responsible for the bass in that song. And the bass lines, the way that they stop and start and the patterns they play, I thoroughly enjoy. So number 12 for me, Stay the Night by Chicago. Yeah, Chicago is interesting. I mean, this is Peter Cetera's last album. Chicago before this time was really known for their horns, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And they kind of pulled back from that yep. and became this new thing like you're talking about. The brass section really got upset because they thought they were Chicago. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> More than anything else. But the upside was huge compared to their previous albums. This one really took off for them. Yep. And if memory serves, the horn section wasn't the only group that was upset. Um, I don't think their bass player was too happy that Peter Cetera decided to play bass in this song. Of course. That's, that's <laughs> never a good thing, really. Well, it's a good thing in this case, but it's not a good thing for the people It's involved. not a good if you're the bass player. That's right. I totally get that. All right. Let's listen to Stay the Night, Jason's number 12, song of 1984. That's Stay the Night by Chicago. Just a real quick note. I don't know if you know this. The bass was not the only thing replaced on this song. That's right. I forgot to mention. The drummer sat out for this song, and they had Jeff Picaro Mm -hmm. come over. And actually, he's known for really being the best in the business for programming drums. Mm. And they did a lot of drum machines and stuff on this. He really oversaw the process. 
And, you know, he probably played a little too. But he's obviously a member of Toto, your first Song of Note band. Yep. Just a yeah, no, I'm really up. glad you mentioned that because I was looking at my notes here going, that was probably one of the most significant parts. Yeah. So fantastic drums. At some point, people should listen to the guitar solo on that song. Cause it is. You always should listen to the guitar solo. Oh, by the way, um, just as a sidebar, if, in case anybody is new to Jason being a member of the podcast team, coming in and being a guest host, he's a keyboard player, as you can tell by some of the songs <laughs> he's made. All right. So let's go to my number 12. And it's a song by somebody who would become a member of Van Halen, Sammy Hagar. He had an album, uh, VOA, mm. which is Voice of America. That's what it stands for. One of these songs that I always have loved, I Can't Drive 55. Mm. But this was his protest against these speed limits. He thinks that they're ridiculous to some degree. Yep. If this all started, I'll quote Hagar here. A cop stopped me for doing 62 on a four-lane road when there was nobody else in sight. Then the guy gave me a ticket. I was doing 62. And he said, we give tickets around here for doing over 60. And I said, <laughs> I can't drive 55. <laughs> and I grabbed the paper and pen. I swear the guy was writing the ticket and I was writing the lyrics. <laughs> Interesting thing. Sarah Palin was pulled over in Wasala, Alaska. Which, she sat in Wasala, Alaska. I don't know if she can, I can do it, Palin. I don't know if I sound that pretty. <laughs> but she was pulled over for doing 63 and a 45 zone. And apparently this song was on the radio at the time. <laughs> so Hagar responded to the news by tweeting her. He goes, heard you went rogue on the gas pedal. I'll cover your ticket if you promise to do it better next time. <laughs> so I thought that was great. It's such an interesting video. They have him getting dragged into court. And mm -hmm. they have Han Solo being hung in the gallows because they used some figure. <laughs> and it was filmed in Saga Speedway. No kidding. I'm so glad you put it in there. I had, of course, a Sammy Hagar compilation album when I was a kid. Right. And this was one of my favorite tracks off that album. And I saw him do it live back in 2002. It was Sammy Hagar and David Lee Roth. That's a great yeah, show. it was. David Lee Roth came and played his set with his artists, and then Sammy Hagar played his set with his artists. Yeah. And they both did songs from their Van Halen experience, but also their solo stuff. Their original, yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds amazing. Anyway, let's listen to my number 12, I Can't Drive 55 by Sammy Hagar. Okay, that's Sammy Hagar, my number 12. I can't drive 55. That's a special meaning for people that live in LA. You can't get up to 55. <laughs> you can't get up, or if if you can get up to, there's people doing 80. Right. Because they stop and they do 20 for a while. So mm -hmm. they do 55 net net. Net net. There you go. <laughs> that must be the argument. <laughs> All right. My number 11. This is a shift from the rock genre into pop for sure. This is done by the son of Motown founder, Barry Gordy. They didn't have a name for him. Well, he had his name, but they changed it. They changed it to Rockwell. And the song is Somebody's Watching Me. And the cool thing is that Michael Jackson sang backup for him. It hit number two in the US. Mm, the same wow. time Thriller hit number four. No kidding. Such. Yeah, a lot of those chart hits come a year later or something. Yeah, yeah. This was one of the first songs used in the first episode of Miami Vice. Aha. Kind of interesting there. This is his one-hit wonder. 
his father kind of made it, but he wrote it. His father didn't think he had any talent. Mm. And then he heard this one song. He's like, okay, that I can do. If you get somebody to sing back up, who's good. Mm-hmm. And he got Michael Jackson. So there you are. Have you heard the song at all? I have not. Oh, okay. I, I don't think so. so. It's one of those things where I'll recognize it if I've heard it, but just off the description, I'm drawing a bit of a blank. Okay. Here's my number 11. Somebody's watching me. Somebody is. I know they are. Anyway, by Rockwell. Let's listen. Anyway, that's rock while someone's watching me. And I'm totally impressed that you picked a song that's predominantly keyboards. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a good song. It's a pop song. It's good. I have heard it. Not recently. That's a lot of fun. Jason, what's your number 11, my friend? My number 11 comes from an album that was had two separate releases. One was in the UK, and uh, about six months later, I think, they released it in the US. Um, there were significant stylistic differences in the two versions. In the UK... The keys and the bass were emphasized on this album, but in the U.S., the guitar, the drums, and a, an extra dose of reverb were uh, placed into those tracks. So this is a band called White Snake, and the album Slide It In, and the title track of that album, Slide It In, is my number 11. I am so impressed, by the way. I am so impressed. This is one of these songs that, for me, was like a song of note. I was like pushing it because I, I love the guitar in this. Mm-hmm. I love White Snake is one of my favorite bands, but I'm like... I don't want to inundate people with White Snake every time they hit this podcast. <laughs> and I tried to split it up. I was like, so like, what can I push out to break that in there? And it's like, Sammy Hagar? No, I couldn't. I couldn't this time. I was like, okay, that's my swap. Yep. Uh, but slide it in. It, of course, it's about uh, putting a disc in a drive or something. Yeah, uh, a floppy disc, <laughs> A <right>? floppy disc. <laughs> exactly what it is. <laughs> that sounds like Michael Jackson. It does. Um, <laughs> he did not play on this album. No, he did not. But you know who did? Uh, keyboard player John Lord from Deep Purple. Wow. You know, that's great. He managed to find both the UK and the US version of the song, and I like the UK better. Really? Yep. Oh. And this... the guitar solos are different in both versions. They are markedly different. Okay. Uh, different melody lines, different... I mean, I, I don't know enough about... I don't know if I've heard the UK version, seriously. I went and looked for some compilation some best of that had both versions on it and listen to them back to back definitely like the uk version better because the keyboards are more prominent that's why that's one of the reasons I why i get it but okay. i say that the guitars the two guitar solos that as different as they are they're both they're both great the guitar solo in the uk version actually has a second recorded line over it where he's playing harmony to his own melody which okay. is neat anyways my number 11 slide it in let's listen to slide it in the real version America. <laughs> America, baby. I am so excited. I want to listen to the whole song again. <laughs> I love that song, and I'm like pissed that I didn't put it on my list. It's so good. I mean, it's one of those songs that the minute the intro comes in, um, and you can hear the re- additional reverb on the drums in the in the U.S. version. The song just kicks off, and you can't stop listening. And, of course, it has the big open guitar mm-hmm. hits that I just drill over. Yep. Everybody in the world knows that by now. All right. So what is your number 
that's going to be hard to top. That should be num- your number one. <laughs> so uh, what's your number 10? All right. My number 10 is a song that has all of two chords in it. Okay. And usually I like to pick music that's got, you know, a lot of creativity, a lot of variety. But this one just really stuck out to me because of the political impact and the satire and all of the other stuff going on underneath. Um, it's amazing how the, these lyrics of this, of this song were so misinterpreted. People thought it was a patriotic song. Oh, I know what song this is. In, in some ways it is, but not in the way that Bruce Springsteen meant it to be. Uh, Born in the USA is specifically talking about the hardships of Vietnam veterans when they returned from the war, especially the, the, the blue-collar ones. Um, the line, the opening lyric, Born Down in a Dead Man's Town, was quoted in Stephen King's It, which was... It, to me, still is the scariest movie I've ever seen. Okay. <laughs> Lots of other controversy about the album cover, where he's standing and you see his backside in front of an American flag. Yeah. People thought he was urinating on the American flag, which... Oh, really? He, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. And it, he, of course, came back and said, absolutely not. That's not what I was doing. No. Uh, it's actually... The original title of the song was Vietnam. Oh, that's when right. When I first made it, yeah. Another interesting thing is Born in the USA, the album, was the first CD manufactured in the United States. No, no kidding. I didn't know that. How apropos. This had been around before, but they were imported. Wow. I have to say it was a hard sell between Born in the USA and Glory Days. Mm -hmm. I really really like Glory Days. That's a good song, too. Just from the the whole political impact and what they can do with this two-chord song is pretty pretty amazing. And it's something that most everybody, I think, would be able to recognize. Well, I'm pretty sure everybody knows this song. Unless you don't live in the USA or unless you have never heard of Bruce Springsteen. Anyway, let's listen to Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Jason's number 10. That was born in the USA. Jason's 10. It's interesting that uh, the solo in there, the drum solo, Weinberg didn't know he was doing it. Yeah. Well, they recorded this as they were in a circle. And everybody was looking at each other. And Bruce pointed to him. He goes like this. And he pointed. And, they <laughs> and just Weinberg made, just killed it. Made it up on the fly. And they took that one take. It was yeah. like, that, that's yeah. the part we want. Anyway, that's your 10. And my 10 is by a band that is not rock for sure. But it also has a political statement in it. It's a call for people to put aside their differences and work towards unity. It's by a band called Depeche Mode off of Some Great Reward. And the name of the song is People Are People. This was their big hit in the United States. They had bigger hits in the UK. The percussion on this song, they use a lot of different culinary mm. instruments like forks and knives and pans and pots. And, and they record them and they put them into loops. That's cool. Lead singer David Gahan said, we used to go into the studios and the first thing we'd do, we'd ask where the kitchen was, literally for pots and pans and things we could throw down <laughs> the stairs and record the rhythms so that would make them crashing around and then we'd make them into loops. Gee, that sounds like my house with a four-year-old and a two-year-old. <laughs> I know. You just got to start recording it. <laughs> yeah. And then making some beats out of it. Yeah. And you have some mad beats. You have some mad beats, I tell you. Imagine if beats were mad. You couldn't eat them. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm losing my mind. This is one of the songs that they don't really consider one of their stronger songs because it's too upfront and too straight ahead mm. that you can understand it by listening to it. Most of their songs aren't like that. Mm. 
So too much they, in your face. They haven't played it live since the eighties, and they've, no they're kidding. still touring. Yeah. Oh wow, I didn't know that. But yeah, it's a great song. It was obviously their biggest song in the U.S. Let's listen to "People Are People." My number ten from Depeche Mode. <laughs> People are people by Depeche Mode. Yeah, good song. I have heard it. It's great to listen to it really up close and hear all the different sounds they managed to put together. Interesting, back in the day, I actually used to play with a drummer who would take different types of kitchen instruments or pieces of metal he found on the road and you put them on his drum set, like on a snare, and he would hit them in pattern in different in different songs. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to hear that creativity. But good song. No, absolutely. It's funny that you're picking the guitar songs and I'm picking the, the keyboard <laughs> songs. And I'll, I'll just keep that going. But I'm also supporting my heritage for this one. Actually, in 83, they came out with an album in Germany, this next band. Hmm. And they didn't do an English version of the song until 84. And that's the one I'm going to talk about here. Well, it's by a singer called Gabriella Kerner, who changed her name to Nina. And the song is 99 uh -huh. Red Balloons. Yep. And it's on the album 99 Luftballoons, which is the one that was actually more popular, but it was 83, and I kind of like the English version. Mm. It's really interesting. This is about bringing the country up into the point of war. Hmm. The guitarist got the idea after watching balloons being released at a Rolling Stones concert in West Berlin. And he watched them fly into the Soviet airspace afterward. Oh, okay. And the whole thing is talks about people going in, buying 99 balloons in a shop and letting them go for fun. And the balloons show up on radar and people think it's an attack and the planes scramble. And the next thing you know, it's a perceived nuclear attack or a perceived whatever. And there was actually something that happened almost similar to this. They, their people released weather balloons, which is a lot different. Right. And red balloons are not the actual translation. It's air balloons. Oh, okay. But Red Balloons kind of worked in the it, same space. Yeah, it just seemed better to fit with the songs. Right. It's, this is definitely a one-hit wonder song. Mm -hmm. uh, Germany, they actually had another big hit. But outside of Germany, one-hit wonder. Cross the board. Wow. Uh, I love this tune. I remember we had a watch in French class in high school. We had to watch The Red Balloon. It's some French movie. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. That always reminded me. Like <laughs> That's what, like, when the song came out later, I was like, oh. Red balloons, red there balloons. There, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's, it's some internal thing. <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, being it's from from Germany too, which is my heritage. I'm American, been a multi-generational American. That said, yeah, 99 Red Balloons, love the song. Yep, I've heard it, good tune. Didn't make my list, but I'm glad I made yours. Yeah, I mean, you can't be right on everything. That's true. You were right on slide. I, I, I came in planning to be wrong many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's listen to... The ninth best song in 1984, 99 Red Balloons by Nina.
Yeah, it's my number nine, 99 Red Balloons. So much fun. Love the lines, the different the lines the different instruments are playing. Sure. Um, and how they all just add and come together. It, the counter melodies, it's just, it's, it's a blast. Actually, this song almost didn't make it to the United States at all. Uh, the 99 Luft Balloons version, which came out, I said, the year earlier, a radio station found it and played it on the air, and it happened to be K-Rock in L.A. Mm. No kidding. <laughs> so K-Rock started playing it, and people started liking it, yeah, because they had one word in there that everybody knew, which was Captain Kirk, because there's no German <laughs> word for Captain Kirk. The German word for Captain Kirk is Captain Kirk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and the next thing you know, there's demand for an English version of the song, and here you are. No kidding. But, That's cool. So what's your number nine, my friend? Well, uh, my number nine is a little bit different. It's off of this artist's first album. In fact, it was he was so new to the scene that he recorded this album with uh, entirely with studio musicians. He didn't have a band yet. His guitar player uh, later on became famous for a band called Skid Row. Yep, I know who this is. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this is a song about a girl who runs away from home. Oops, I just gave it away. My number nine is Bon Jovi's Runaway. That is interesting. I'm from Charlie Z. Yeah, when you start talking about Jovi, I kind of know. Right. It's really interesting. You talked about uh, Dave Sabo, who's the guitar mm-hmm. player. He's good friends with him growing up. And he actually got Skid Row signed later on. Bon Jovi did. Oh, because, no kidding. Because oh, he wow. knew it. Yeah. Bon Jovi used to take a Greyhound bus from New Jersey and Manhattan, like we all did at that point. Either Greyhound or the train. He saw so many young people trying to get away in desperation mm-hmm. and trying to find their way in New York City that it kind of inspired the song. And you're right with everything else. Damn. This is one of the few songs I can play on keyboard. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard. No. <laughs> it's so iconic, though. It's one of the, just again, one of those tunes you start playing and, and it just, it all comes back. This is Bon Jovi before anybody knew who he was. Runaway from his debut album, mm-hmm. Bon Jovi. Let's listen. <laughs> That's Jason's number nine, Runaway by Bon Jovi. But yeah, so what's your number eight? All right. So my number eight. Um, Wrong. <laughs> oh, man. My number eight. I knew I wanted to include this album, and I was going back and forth with a couple of songs from this album, but I really went with the song that I think was probably the most recognized. Some of the notes suggested that it got less airplay than other songs, but I remember it on the radio all the time. Brian Adams' album, Reckless, Summer of 69. It's apparently not about the year 1969. It's uh, also on my list, by the way. Oh, is it? Yes. Is this the first time we've matched? Yeah, it's the first match. Wow. Wow. Apparently, it's nothing about the actual year 69. Um, apparently, Brian Adams was born in 59. I think it was 59 or 60. So he was... He was nine years old. In yeah, that's right. He was nine yeah. years old in, in 69. So what was it about if it wasn't about the year? <laughs> Well, there are a few conjectures, and um, <laughs> we'll just leave it up to the imagination after that. Really enjoy the, the song. Um, again, it's one of those tunes that would come on in that old dusty gym all the time, and just has this you know very positive memory for me. So, just real quick on the on the what the song's about, Brian Adams. It's a very simple song about looking back on summertime and making love. For me, the '69 was a metaphor for making love, not about the year. So that's it. I remember big guitar chords. Hello. Mm-hmm. You know what? Like it. Obviously, I remember my first real six string. I, right. had a, I had a Norma guitar that I got from my cousin, which she got from Sears catalog, I think. Mm-hmm. But it just could have 
easily been the five and dime. And I just played the heck out of that thing. I love the turnaround of the chorus and yep. the, the catchy chorus, great tune. Interesting, misheard lyric, Brian Adams, this is a quote. I had someone in Spain ask me why I wrote the first line of the song as, I had my first real sex dream. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was funny. I don't know. He was nine. It's a little young. <laughs> this uh, The lyrics were inspired by a lot of different other songs. I got my first real sex dream was inspired by Foreigner's Jukebox Hero. That's right. Standing on your mama's porch, she told me that you'd wait forever was a reference to Bruce Springsteen's Thunder Road. Uh, Jimmy quit, Jody got married. This is, that was actually a real story. Jody was, Jody Perpick, who was Adam's sound guy. He just got married about the time the song was coming together. And he actually appeared in the, and he left the band or whatever. Uh, he actually appeared in the video with his wife in a car that just said, just got married. Oh, nice. So he was actually the guy in That's the video. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I love this song and uh, it has really a special place for me. So let's listen to Jason's number eight. Number eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> All right, let's listen to Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. Jason's number eight. That is a good number eight, my friend. All right, so let me jump into my number eight. This is on an album you talked about already. Uh-huh. It's about a guy who grew up in my hometown of Freehold, New Jersey, <laughs> who went to my high school, Freehold Borough High School. Wow. Not with me, though. <laughs> He's a lot older than I am. <laughs> the person, of course, is Bruce Springsteen. Oh, I didn't know all those things. Yeah. Wow. The album Born in the USA. And the other song that you were thinking about putting on was the song that I put on. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> Glory Days is my song. He sings about a chance encounter, which actually did happen. Oh, really? With a guy called Joe DePew hmm. in a bar in Neptune, New Jersey. The headliner, which I've been by, I don't know if I've actually been in. I used to go to a batting cage in Neptune. Oh, okay. So he went in, he was walking out of the bar and his friend was walking in and he came in and he sat and he talked about the olden days. Yep. Uh, it's one of his favorites. One of the main p venues that I used to go to was the Stone Pony. And he would show up there occasionally and play these gigs under another name or whatever. And he'd just okay. show up. But people wouldn't know who it was. Right. I never got to go to those gigs because those gigs were ridiculously crazy. Because mm -hmm. as soon as somebody heard it was Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> yeah. you couldn't get near the no, place. No, it lines out the door. Right, right. Believe it or not, I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan except for this album. This album I love. There's... Selected songs I like off his other albums, mm -hmm. but I'm not a Bruce Springsteen huge fan. Yeah, me neither. I think these are the two that have just come to mind. If someone said Bruce Springsteen, these two would pop in my mind, and I'm not sure about anything else. I like the, the whole Glory Day concept, right? Because yeah. when, you're, when you're a young person, you think about all your glory days are ahead of you, right? And then you get older, you realize, man, there were some really neat things that happened years ago when you are younger. And just that concept of sitting around and reminiscing over that. I used to wonder why people told the same stories all the time. As a kid, it's like, man, I've heard the story like five times. But as I got older, I realized it's the process of telling the story that allows you to relive it and to share that with other people and how just important that is. Sure. No, I totally get that. 
Bruce Springsteen, the first verse actually happened, the second verse mostly happened, and the third verse, of course, is happening now. Mm-hmm. There's a hidden verse, which is a fourth verse, that, hmm. he, that isn't part of the song on the album. It's about his father working on the Ford assembly line. So I figured I'd just play that as the song. Here's Bruce Springsteen, Glory Days off of Born in the USA. The hidden fourth verse. I went a little long on that, just so you can hear the whole hidden verse. All right, that's Glory Days, my number eight. Good too. Yep. I love it. Great stuff. All right, let me jump to my number seven. My number seven does have guitar in it. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's not a heavy, hard guitar yet. Caveat the yet. So if you're waiting for it, it may come. A little bit of forecasting here. A little forecast, foreshadowing ahead. But not this song. I love the way the Edge plays guitar. Mm. This is off of the Unforgettable Fire by U2. The song is Pride in the Name of Love. Yep, it's on my list. On your list. I can't imagine it wouldn't have been. Yeah. This song is about Martin Luther King, mostly. It's also about Jesus in some parts. It almost seems like he alternates for the first couple of verses mm-hmm. between Martin Luther King and Jesus. The April 4th verse is just about Martin Luther King. King was actually killed in the evening on April 4th. Bono has acknowledged that he made a mistake by talking about the morning of April 4th. Mm-hmm. Bono says this is the most successful pop song we've ever written. I use the word pop in the best possible sense. Pop for me is an easily understood thing. You can listen to it, you can comprehend it almost immediately. You relate to it instinctively. A lot of the album isn't like that. Mm-hmm. But enough about Bono and his wisdom. What I love about The Edge mm-hmm. is he doesn't just use effects to hide his art. He takes the effects and uses it as his art and he's so meticulous about what he does Mm -hmm. he has to use the same exact guitar he has to use the same exact effect when he's playing it live for a stadium as he did in the studio talked about this in another episode but his guitar tech has to be sainted yep when you bring 46 guitars on tour that's i can't even (laughs) imagine that looks like (laughs) (laughs) but it's just a great song and i could not ignore this song so i had to put it on yep I love the back and forth like you talked about, connecting what Martin Luther King did, what Jesus did, and the whole concept of what more in the name of love could you possibly do, yeah. right? Look at these two examples, especially in this day and age where the concept of race and how we approach it keeps coming up to remember. It? <laughs> yeah, it, it, just a little <laughs> bit here and there. Just to think back to someone who really responded to controversy and strife with love is a very powerful message. No, absolutely. Let's listen to Pride in the Name of Love by U2 off of The Unforgettable Fire. My number seven and on Jason's list somewhere. My number seven. Yeah, it's it's an amazing tune. Um, I love when 
artists use space in music where sure. not every single second of time has to be filled with sound and the space becomes almost its own instrument in of itself. And I think the edge does that really well. I think Bono does it really well. Love it. So Jason, my friend, what is your number seven? All right. Time for my number seven. And is it evil? <laughs> is it evil number seven? <laughs> no. <laughs> my number seven uh, was based on an Ernest Hemingway book. Uh -huh. Wow. Good for you. Good for you, my friend. Good for you. It was titled by the same name. It was about the Spanish Civil War and a bunch of soldiers that were trying to take a hill and ended up dying. For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica off the Ride the Lightning It's on my, on my list as well. I, I imagined if it would be. Tolling bell sound, it's actually Lars Ulrich hitting an anvil. Right. One of my favorite metal songs. I was I was honestly very tempted, and I'm, you're going to be glad I didn't do this. I was very tempted to put Call of the Cthulhu on there. Oh, okay. Because I really enjoy that. It's, term, it's more like a metal anthem piece, just because it's like nine minutes long, and there's so many different movements to it. Yeah. But people are going to recognize for whom the bell tolls, and that is my number seven. Yeah, Cliff Burton's bass style on this, actually people think is a lead guitar. He did the intro using light distortion on bass. Wow. The main riff is killer, uh, the lyric, and seeing this live, I've seen Metallica several times. It's just crazy. That's all I can say. Because mm -hmm. everybody's singing. For yeah. whom the battles. Yeah. I love Metallica. Metallica is one of my favorite bands. So I was really excited that you put this on there. I'm shocked, actually. <laughs> but that's good. Yeah. Good for you. Good <laughs> my, for you. My favorite experience with Metallica, I've never seen them live, but I managed to get a hold of the DVD, the concert they did with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra called SNM. Yeah. There was a lot of questions about whether or not that was going to work. Orchestral pieces and Metallica together. But that was my first time hearing the song. It blew me away in terms of the talent of everybody that was there. And of course, you know, going back to the original album version, it's still a phenomenal piece of art. Yeah, I have a couple of their concerts on DVD and whatever. So one of these days we'll sit down and we watch need to. one. Yeah. We absolutely need to. Let's listen to For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica. just great uh episode 14 anybody who wants to get into a little bit deeper metallica he said that song just hit the nerve and i want to go back episode 14 of this podcast we talked about it and we actually drank blackened whiskey <laughs> which is the metallica brand whiskey so it was a lot of fun so check that out if you haven't anyway what's your number six so my number six is a song we've already talked about pride in the name of love by u2 okay so we're really relatively very close, close. yeah very close yep so let's move into me my number six is a bar band that tried their own thing and stayed at it for years and years and played the New York, New Jersey circuit hmm. and Long Island circuit for a long time. And people said that band will never do it, but they kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the lead singer who came up on that band would berate people in the crowd for not singing along, not dancing. Not doing it. And it's the band is called Twisted Sister. Uh -huh. The lead singer is called Dee Snyder. <laughs> uh, this is from the Stay Hungry album. We're not going to take it yep. as the one I had to go with. There's a good documentary. It's called Twisted Effin' Sister. It's on Prime. What a good watch. And it's just one of these amazing songs. The video has Mark Metcalf, 
who played Niedermeyer in Animal House, in there, and he's the guy who gets uh, pretty much Wally Coyote'd through the whole <laughs> through the whole video. <laughs> he gets knocked out of a window. He gets pushed around, and people are like, "Oh, this is violent!" And you have Tipper Gore and those folks being upset about it that they're teaching violence against their parents, and it's like it's just like watching a Roadrunner cartoon. Relax. Um, D. Snyder started writing a song in 1980. Actually, the melody for the song kind of sounds like Come All You Faithful. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so maybe stole a little bit from the hymnal. You're right. As, as well. There's a lot of thievery that goes on in music, and some people are okay with it. Some people, not so much. Great pick. Did not make my list, but it's a song that I knew and recognized and thoroughly enjoyed. So I'm glad it's on there. Okay. So let's listen to number six. We're not gonna take it by Twisted Sister. That is, we're not gonna take it, my number six. Yep, love it. Anyway. My number five was the number one song of the entire year of 1984, according to Billboard, in the United States. It uh, comes from one of the biggest albums of that year, for sure. This song alone kept Bruce Springsteen dancing in the dark at number two, preventing Bruce Springsteen from ever having a number one hit. No kidding. He has not had a number one hit. Dancing in the Dark looked like it was going to make it, but this song stomped on it. It's put together by someone who played all the instruments on the song. And he played bass, but then he cut the bass. This is Prince from Purple Rain album. And the song is When Doves Cry. Really? It is fantastic. It was the number one song of the year. The album was number one for 24 weeks. I love the lick in the beginning. Prince can play guitar. Mm -hmm. Yes, he can. The imagery of the verse lyrics are just fantastic. Love the thought about the song construction duplicating where appropriate. He does that Michael Jackson plosive thing that he does. It's kind of like, boo-ah, you know, ooh-ah, yay. You know, <laughs> you know, he does that same thing that Michael Jackson does. He's the only other artist I can think of in that time that did that. I mean, it's becoming a little more common now. If you listen to The Weeknd or you listen to people like that. Such a good tune. He wrote it for uh, the movie Purple Rain, obviously. And in the movie, the song expresses fear of becoming like his parents. Hmm. When Doves Cry is his musical, you know, shelter. And the keyboards in the chorus, rec you know, kind of represents the doves crying. Love this tune. Love the guitars in it. Prince is, Prince is pretty awesome. So, uh, you know, obviously the world will miss him. Let's listen to When Doves Cry, my number five. We're getting up there. Yes, we are. Five, When Doves Cry. She never It's my number five, When Doves Cry by Prince. Yep. Great song. Really, really enjoy it. Um, all the different layers and textures. And it's it's incredible that one person can play all those instruments and make them fit all together. Like he's had, he had clearly had this major vision. He's the consummate artist. Mm-hmm. Or he was the consummate artist. 
Okay, what's your number five? Well, we were very, very close. So my number five is also off of the Purple Rain album, and I'm going with Purple Rain. Yeah. And honestly, the reason that I went with Purple Rain is that I have got a very fun, unique story about it. So 10, 12 years ago, probably longer now, I, I can't remember, I was at a Super Bowl party at a friend's house, and a bunch of musicians written together to jam after the party. And I was kind of just new to the whole jamming space, right? I didn't have like a whole lit litany of songs prepared, but I was just hoping I could get one or two, you know, one of those deals, right? Sure. So well, this guy came up and said, hey, I'm going to teach you guys to play a song. It's called Purple Rain. And at that point, I had never heard Purple Rain before in my entire life. So okay. he talked us through all the chords. He sang, he played guitar, he played the guitar solo, he did all that stuff. And that man was Prince. <laughs> uh, no, but it was still one of my most vivid memories of actually feeling like I was successful playing in just like a pickup game for music. Sure, right? yeah, yeah. And it was amazing. So the song has always had a bit of a special place for me. The keyboards seem to be relatively simple, but they still fit with the song. It's just a great composition and very powerful ballad. So number yeah, five. I have a couple of minor talks about this. Obviously, uh, this was the last song Prince ever played live mm -hmm. because that's what he closed the show in Atlanta uh, the week before he died. Mm -hmm. Also, the Prince had concerns that Purple Rain may be too similar to Journey's Faithfully. Mm -hmm. So he actually called up the keyboard player for Journey, Jonathan Cain, and he rang him up at the office and it's like, hey, is this Prince? Ah, this is, um, how would it be? I can't, I can't do a Prince voice. <laughs> ah, this is Prince. I guess it, it's a Southern Prince. A Southern Prince, right. A Southern Prince. I'm a Southern Prince. I'm a Southern Prince from downtown in Minneapolis. <laughs> he says, I want to play something for you. I want you to check it out, Prince told him. The chord changes are close to Faithfully, and I don't want you to sue me. Kane had no problem with the song he heard. I thought it was an amazing tune, the journey musician said. I told him, man, well, I'm super flattered that you even called. It shows that you're that classy sort of guy. <laughs> Good luck with the song. I know it's going to be a hit. <laughs> Are you sure he didn't call Larry the Cable Guy? <laughs> He did, I think. <laughs> you gotta laugh. I don't, I don't care who you are right there. <laughs> uh, no, but just a, a great song. Uh, it's a great, uh, just masterpiece by Prince. Mm -hmm. so, uh, Didn't it win Oscar for Best Original Score Song, I think? Score Song, not the score. Not the score, it's, it's, but it's yeah. It's really interesting that there was like that differentiation. They have these fine lines in... Uh, musical awards in movies for the mm -hmm. Oscars. Probably so. so everybody can get one. <laughs> well, everybody doesn't get one. It's it's kind of tough. I mean, how, how many artists do you know that has an Oscar? I can think of like five. Maybe that's it. Um, but yeah, well, I guess it has to be more than five because they've been Oscars since the 20s. So it's probably 20 to 100. There's 100 people out there. <laughs> and there are probably multiple, 400 people out there because <laughs> they have four different awards. Okay. Anyway, I digress. Sometimes you go down a road and you don't know where you're going and then you just hit a wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Anyway, let's listen to Purple Rain. Jason's number five. It's one of those songs you don't want to stop. No. 
It's just got to keep going. It reminds me of almost Hendrickson in that mm-hmm. moment, but not necessarily in the vocal delivery. It's He has much better voice than Hendrix ever did. But it's just that sort of, I don't know, I get that vibe from it. It's that... And I'm not surprised you picked that song because it's probably the longest song on the album. <laughs> <laughs> it's like eight minutes long. It's like, that's Jason's song. I know it. That's it. That's it. That's the one. It has a lot of movements in it. <laughs> There's a lot of movements. Yeah. And it's got this rest where he's doing these vocal intonations oh, so in between the end of the choruses and the verse. And I remember, again, never hearing the song before, trying to play it just to have this guy calling it out. He's going, wait. Wait, wait, you know, and it's like, you just went, oh, let's go, let's go. It's like, no, no, just wait and yeah. listen. And boy, am I glad I did. Yeah. Okay. So what's your number four? All right. My number four, it was described as on the one hand, tensions due to threats of superpowers and nuclear annihilation. On the other hand, keeping relationships in a modern world where work and mundane things can sometimes take precedence over contact with individuals and growing those relationships. And I'm talking about the band called Rush, Distant Early Warning is the track. I thought very apropos given the situation that we're in now, COVID-19, staying away from each other, trying to find ways to connect. The second... Then get off my lap, God damn it! <laughs> what are you doing? Get out of here! What is going on? That's not... That's not... That's not go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> A little too much connection there. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of liked it. <laughs> no, no, that was the Deep Purple song I did not pick on my top 12. <laughs> Oh, okay. No, good. Keep going. The second verse in Distant Early Warning says, It's so hard to stay together passing through revolving doors. We need someone to talk to and someone to sweep the floors. Incomplete. Incomplete. And I just think that struck me as we're all trying to figure out how to keep relationships alive while staying apart from each other and how much we need more than just a walking past someone to actually connect and build relationship. So... That's my number four, Distant Early Warning. Yeah, I think Neil Peart, he said, and when I see a little bit of grace in someone's life, like when you pass that horrible tenement building and you see those wonderful pink flamingos on the balcony up there, it's something like some aspect of humanity that strikes you as beautiful, even when it's not Mm -hmm. around it. Let's listen to Distant Early Warning by Rush off of Grace Under Pressure. That's a really good tune. And if you want to listen to more about Rush, episode 28, Alan Campbell and I Mm -hmm. talked about Rush that whole episode and it was really a solid episode. A lot of fun stuff happening in there. All right. Just an early warning. Great tune. That is your number four, right? Yep. Number four four. already. Wow. One, two, three, four. Ah, ah, ah. And my number four is a song you've already said, which is For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica. I figured it was going to be high up for you. Right. And it was. All right. My number three, it was by a band called Van Halen off of the album 1984. Mm-hmm. And the song is Hot for Teacher. Love the drum fills. He has a double bass, but he actually doubles that in the intro when he plays it for a little bit. And then it's just him playing the whole way. Iconic verse. I love Dave talking and his little fills. The Waldo video. Have you ever you've seen the video for this, right? No. Oh, you need to you need to see the video, uh, Jason. And when we finish 
when I finish this whole thing, I'm going to have the YouTube channel with every song we've ever played mm -hmm. and all of the music videos on it from this episode. And you guys can see it too, but check that out when you can. Hot for Teacher is definitely worth a watch. It was the final single ever released by Van Halen. Hmm, of, I didn't know that. With, with David, with Lee, David Roth. Lee Roth. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, we know what this song was about. Hot for Teacher, right? <laughs> yeah, not, not too subtle, that uh, song title. Yeah, there's there. not like some deep underlying <laughs> no. meaning. They're pretty uh, upfront about it. Eddie used the flying V on this guitar, not his normal Frankenstrat that he plays. Uh, we covered a lot of this song and uh, the band, Van Halen, on episode eight of this podcast. So I'm not going to refresh all of that, but I did find something new. At the end of the video where David Lee Roth becomes the America's favorite TV game show host, his pants are soaked. And this was done deliberately in an attempt to get the first urine stain on MTV. Really? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't tell what it was, but they did it, yeah. Wow. And it's funny, like, if you watch the video, Alex cannot dance. And, and <laughs> whenever they try to do all of the, the syncopation and the dancing, right. he's always off. And that's not intentionally, that's unintentionally. This is named the 36th best hard rock song of all time by VH1. All right, so let's listen to my number three, Hot for teacher. All right, yep. <laughs> that was my number three, Hot for Teacher. Love it. Mm -hmm. When Eddie Van Halen plays rhythm guitar parts, he's not just playing open chords, he's playing melodies and progressions, and he's writing his own piece of music in the song, which is something I've always liked about him. Yeah, he's fantastic. He was, of my lifetime, the one that changed rock guitar more than anybody. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, yeah, big fan. <laughs> so, number three, what's your number three? All right, my number three... It comes from a German band. Ah. This song was listed as number 31 of 40 greatest metal songs, 18th greatest hard rock song, fourth best guitar riff of the 1980s. And it reached 25 in the Hot 100. That it did. <laughs> that it did. <laughs> Top of all that. Rudolf Schenker said that American music typically comes from the blues, but German music often comes from classical music. That's kind of how they grew up. So you can hear some of those distinctions in this piece of music, which is, of course, Rock You Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions off of Love at First Sting. It's on my list as well. As it is. Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's the perfect rock anthem. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, the sexuality, all that stuff. Shanker says, he goes, it's so funny that women come up to me and say, oh, I love that Rock You Like the Hurricane song that has lyrics like, the bitch is hungry, she needs to tell, <laughs> so give her inches and feed her well. <laughs> and yeah. he's like... And then these women are coming up and saying, I love that song. It's amazing. <laughs> um, big chords and lead work over the top. Big chords once again. Mm -hmm. Love the muted guitar in the verse. It's so good. The build into the sing-along chorus. Solo is great. Into the vocal and drums only, which I always love when they drop stuff out. Yep. And they just have have it go. And you can really hear the effect of drums. If you listen to the drums that they're playing, you, see, you hear the effects that they're putting on it in that section especially hmm. when it's just the drums and the vocals you totally hear it i've watched so much music stuff for these podcasts and i don't remember where i heard it but i thought it was really poignant he said only a german could come up with 
rock you like a hurricane. (laughs) (laughs) Shaker says, we always used to think that English and American music was exotic. And then we came to the U.S. and we were the exotic ones. (laughs) (laughs) Who are these crazy Germans? (laughs) If the Scorpions could have put out an album called Smell the Glove, (laughs) they would have. (laughs) Love it. Rocky Like a Hurricane is a fantastic tune. And this is your... This is my number three. Three? Okay, that's good. Yep. All right. So let's listen to Rock You Like a Hurricane by Dare Scorpions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's your number three. Yep. Rocky Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions. Lead vocals, Klaus Main. Is that right? Mine? Klaus Main? Mine, yeah. Um, His vocal tone is so unique. Um, Stephen Petrie would know, but I think he's really forcing his high head voice through his nose. And he really has that rounded off sense of the vocals that just, I mean, anytime you hear that, him singing, you know exactly who that is. Very unique sound. Absolutely. So, all right. So what's your number two? All right. Are you holding on to your seat? I am. My seat is like, I, I can't even move. <laughs> I'm stuck. All right. Uh, this is going kind of in the opposite direction from where we were. This song was number one worldwide because I just couldn't write down all the areas where it became number one. Okay. Writer Mick Jones said that he wrote this song on one restless night where he wrote the first two chords in the title and he woke up his fiance to explain it to her and to say, hey, you know, look at the song I wrote. And she asked, what's it called? And he tells her and she's flabbergasted. She goes, what do you mean? We're about to get married. Don't you know what love is? Yeah. So of course this is, I want to know what love is by foreigner off of agent provocateur. One of the things I really like about the song, And by the way, they got divorced <laughs> just so, a sidebar. Yeah. So maybe he didn't know. <laughs> no, he actually said that there was parts of him that he, was seeing so many women at the time that he was talking to his wife. <laughs> yeah, he had an issue with that, and that kind yeah. of fell apart, yeah. Um, they recorded this song with the New Jersey Mass Choir. Of course. Why not go for the best? Yeah, exactly. And apparently, as Mick Jones tells it, they were incredibly nervous before their recording. And they all gathered in a circle, uh, the band and the, and the choir, and they recited the Lord's Prayer. Oh, and that's great. After that, they nailed the choir part on the very first take. Oh, that's great. Uh, fantastic power ballad, great vocals, Lou Graham. Nope. Um, you know, I, I have to say my, my one detraction from the song was that I didn't hear a lot of really prominent, incredible um, instrumentation. Like there isn't, I didn't hear significantly, you know, significant instrument parts that I go, oh, that's, you know, I, I, I love the creativity on that. It's, it's a beautiful song. Um, I think it was really focused on the message and the vocals and the choir behind it. So, that's why for me, even though all the, the number one charts that it hit, it didn't make it number one for me. But number two, I thought was, it did it justice. Well, Lou Graham didn't like the song at first because he thought, right. it, he thought it was going to push the song into adult contemporary land out of his rock base. And he was not really happy about doing it, but he got talked into doing it and they did well. Mm-hmm. They actually played it for the head of Atlantic Records, well, Mick Jones did. And he said, he, he t- Mick, this is Mick talking, he says, I took him into the studio we just sat there in two chairs. I put the song on. Halfway through, I looked over, and indeed, there were tears coming out of his eyes. 
I thought, whoa, this is a major moment for me. I've been able to impress this man who've heard you know, some of the best music ever made. Then here he is, and I've reached him emotionally. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, it's a song that's a deep, touching yep. song. It didn't make my list, but it wasn't one that I didn't think about. Let's listen to Jason's number two. I want to know what love is by Foreigner over Agent Provocateur. All right, that was your number two. Yep, lots of great keyboards. Again, that choir just fills it out and turns it into this really majestic piece. No, it's a good tune. So my number two is a song we've already done, Summer of 69. Oh, wow, it was Brian that high Adams. for you. Yeah. Wow. It was one of those songs that really made that year for me. All right, and my number one is Rock You Like a Hurricane <laughs> by the Scorpions. So we're gonna turn around to your number one real quick. All right. So what's your number one? (laughs) My number one is off of an album we've already reviewed. The album was 1984 by Van Halen. And I could have gone with a couple of different tunes here. I'll be honest. I went with Jump. Yeah, I figured. The synth line for Jump was originally written in 1981, but none of the other band members liked what Eddie had written. David Lee Roth wrote the lyrics to Jump in the back of his Mercury convertible. And he recalled a news segment about a... Well, just just a sidebar. Dave says a lot of things. <laughs> There's been a lot of dispute over... We don't really know whether, if he actually... Whether he did it in his 1951 Mercury convertible. Yeah, no, no, no. The stories for this song, he says, oh, it's about a stripper. It's about a news story about a man about to kill himself jumping off a building. And Roth thought, might as well jump. There's all these things that Dave will say on different interviews <laughs> at different times. And anyway, just to keep No, that's going. good. No, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you're bringing that up. Um, I will say this. I did see him perform the song live. It was David Lee Roth by himself. Yeah, that's great. Um, I remember him doing the splits at however old he was. Boy, he sure sweated a lot. Must have been those um, leather pants he was wearing. <laughs> but uh, just the iconic synth opening. You know exactly what the song is. The, the first note that you hear. I love the fact that we've got a guitar and a synth solo in, in this piece. Yeah, I'm I'm more happy about the guitar solo, but I get you. <laughs> Interesting. One thing I found out that I didn't know, and I, we did a podcast on this. Uh, what was the number? It was number eight. So check that out if you're into Van Halen and you want to get into it. If you're into Van, Van Hagar, we did Van Hagar as well. 1984 was the end of Van Halen. Mm-hmm. David Lee Roth went to do Crazy from the Heat. Eddie offered the singing job to two people before Sammy Hagar. Hmm. Sammy Hagar was the third choice, and it ended up working out great for them. Right. The second choice was Daryl Hall. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, that would have been something else. <laughs> I know. It would have been like a big departure. The, there's a band called Scandal that had a song called The Warrior this year. And the lead singer of that band was the first person offered the job of lead singer for Van Halen hmm. post David Lee Roth, which is Patty Smythe. Really? Yeah. She was the first person. So, Can you imagine what they'd have been like with... Her as their lead vocalist. I know. Daryl Hall would just be just as crazy, really. <laughs> yeah. And then Sammy was like, it just seemed like the perfect fit. Yeah. So anyway, let's listen to number one for Jason Weck. Uh, off a great album. The most poppiest song on the album. <laughs> <laughs> let's listen to Jump by Van Halen. Now imagine instead of Dave Lee Roth, just close your eyes and picture Patty Smythe singing this. <laughs> 
or Daryl Hall for that matter. <laughs> anyway, let's listen to Jump. I love that part, but I'll stop. <laughs> hey, so that was good. Uh, Eddie Van Halen actually was a uh, classical piano player mm -hmm. before he was a guitar player at all. So it's kind of interesting. Yep. It's always neat to hear like, classical lines. Um, if, for example, in the song Eruption is a very classical instrumental piece. You can hear Mozart strains and other types of influences like that. Yeah, Mozart, Mozart was tapping with his other foot. That's right. That. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh, so we made it. It's yeah. all good. So we're going to go through our our top 12 in a minute. Uh, any songs that you just missed that you want to talk about? Chaka Khan, I Feel For You. And she didn't even know that was supposed to be a uh, rap, by the way. She just kind of went. And the producer surprised her. And now she's forever heard Chaka, Chaka, Chaka Khan, Chaka <laughs> Khan. And Donna Henley had a good album, but even if we liked it, we couldn't have played it. Yep. Because he's a little bit of a bear upon that. Uh, yep. Boys of Summer and All She Wants to Do is Dance. Sad Song Say So Much, you talked about before. Frankie Goes to Hollywood, we kind of skipped, which is Relax and uh, and Two Tribes. Those were huge at the time. Glenn mm -hmm. Fry was a big guy on, obviously, Eagles, but he did like one song for the Beverly Hills Cop, The Heat Is On, and Miami Vice was The Smuggler's Blues. Mm -hmm. Iron Maiden, the Power Slave album is great. Yep. Two Minutes to Midnight and Aces High, I thought about. I did too. Uh, Julian Lennon, Too Late for Goodbyes. It was kind of interesting. Um, I thought about Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It. Oh, that's great, yeah. I, there's a lot about her vocals I really like. Ario Speedwagon, Can't Fight This Feeling, Rock yep. and Roll Star. Thought about them a little bit. Judas Priest, Free Will Burning, Some Heads Are Gonna Roll. Thought mm -hmm. about them. And, uh, uh, of course, um, this is Spinal Tap. Oh, the, that whole album is great. I have it on vinyl right over there, right over upon you. Uh, but I have the whole thing on vinyl. It's just fantastic. Yep. Like I, I, I was always positive you were going to go with Big Bottom. <laughs> I just, I really kind of thought that was going to happen. I was tempted to. I, I really was tempted to. The um, other one I thought you may have went with was Oh Sherry by uh, Steve Perry, <laughs> or The Glamorous Life by Sheila E. No, I didn't think you were going to get that one. I, I, there were some, there were some lobbying going on the other day for Oh Sherry, but um, the one song, my favorite blues song, I think ever. Yep was the one song I didn't put on the list. I just couldn't find a space for it. But I really love Tim Pan Alley by Stevie Ray Vaughan mm -hmm. off of Couldn't Stand the Weather. And most people will go with Couldn't Stand the Weather. That's what but, I would have gonna, was going to go with. But listen to Tim Pan Alley if it's, you haven't. And I have. It's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yep. And, and you you had White Snake and Dance All Days by Wang Chung. was another <laughs> was another kind of a bigger song that year, which was supposed to be a Michael Jackson song, but that's a whole other story. All right, uh, so let's remind everybody what our Dirty Dozen is, plus one, which is our song of note. My song of note was Rocking at Midnight by the Honey Drippers. My number 12 was I Can't Drive 55 by Sammy Hagar. Number 11, Somebody's Watching Me by Rockwell. Number 10, People Are People by Depeche Mode. Number 9, 99 Red Balloons by Nina. Number eight, Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen. Number seven, Pride in the Name of Love by U2. We're Not Gonna Take It is my number six by Twisted Sister. Number five, When Doves Cry by Prince. 
Number four, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Metallica. Number three, Hot for Teacher, Van Halen. Number two, Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. And number one, Rock You Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions. Jason? All right. My song of note was Stranger in Town by Toto. My number 12 was Stay the Night by Chicago. My number 11 was Slide It In by Whitesnake. My number 10 was Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Nine was Runaway by Bon Jovi. Eight was Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. Seven was For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica. Six, Pride in the Name of Love by U2. Five, Purple Rain by Prince and the Revolution. Four, Distant Early Warning by Rush. Three, Rocky Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions. Two, I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. And number one, Jump by Van Halen. That's good. I was kind of expecting Jump to be number one, so that, that kind of worked <laughs> out. <laughs> from you, I was like, what, what song is Jason going to pick for number one? I'm like, he's got to pick one song from that album. And I know it's not going to be any of the guitar songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this was fun. This, this was, was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, really enjoyed going back through and connecting this music with the artist and, and the original album. Because like I said, I learned a lot of this stuff off of compilation albums. So going back and listening through whole albums as they were released is was just a great music experience. Well, that's great. I'm glad. And uh, everybody out there, if you like listening to us and all this stuff, please uh, tell friends, let people know about this. And this is our Dirty Dozen community together. It isn't just me and Jason or me and Jake or it's you guys. And I totally appreciate all you guys. And uh, please share it. Share the love and let people know. All right. So... I'll see you in two weeks with 1983 with Jake. And we're going to go through that. So that's going to be fun. So thank you, Jason, for taking the time. And I will see you guys in two weeks. God bless.